Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Hey, welcome to the fifth episode of Growth Marketing Today. In today's episode, I get to chat with Christian Conteras. He's the head of growth at Hey Oka. He's also one of the organizers of Growth Hackers Meetup here in Toronto. And this chat, I actually was blown away. One of the things that he's part of is Brian Balfour's program called Reforge. And he's already halfway through this false week program. And you can tell right away that he's learning from the best of the best from people in growth in San Francisco. One of the things that he said that really stuck with me is that there's a difference between incremental experiments and disruptive growth experiments. And this is in line with what Brian Balfour said, that growth is the sum of all the parts. You know, people are looking for that disruptive growth experiments, which a lot of people call growth hacks. But for you to have that disruptive experiments, which a lot of them fail, is that you should have incremental experiments that sustain your current growth engine. And Christian talked about it. He even showed to me after the predictive model that he created to know when his company's growth engine is about to die. So he starts looking for the next channel using disruptive experiments. I know this is not making sense to some of you, but I promise you, you're going to learn a lot from this episode from Christian, head of growth at Hey Orca. I don't want to hold you back anymore. I'm pretty excited about this. With that, let's listen in to my chat with Christian, head of growth at Hey Orca. Check it out. Hey, everyone. Uh, I have here Christian Contreras. He way back then at Lean Startup Coffee when we were doing that in Toronto. Yeah, thank you for having me, uh, Ramli. It's good to see you again. Yeah, for sure. I know you've been in the whole, you did a startup and then you got into head of marketing and now you're head of growth. Can you tell me a little bit about your career progression so far? So I started my career in sales, B2B sales, very uh, enterprise oriented. I was just essentially a BDM. And that was, although maybe not the place where a lot of marketers necessarily think of starting, I think that it has been really beneficial for me. Now I have, as I've you know, progress in my career, I found that my personality, my skill set really works in the B2B space and having been able to go back and look, which always is very sales, you know, intensive. So having that experience in sales and that appreciation for the mm. challenges that they face has really been helpful to me. Nice. So from there, although I really, you know, enjoy the human aspect of sales, I knew that that's not what I wanted to to do forever. And I didn't want to become typecasted on it. So I decided to take a leap of faith on a passion project and just work for over a year. The project itself was over-engineered and mm-hmm. under-marketed. And through that process, I gained a very, initially before I kind of wanted to go into product, but through that process, I gained an appreciation mm-hmm. for marketing. Yeah, And then, you know, sort of developed some skills in the marketing side of things and realized that, the main reason why the project wasn't as successful as I wanted it to be, there were there were many reasons, but one of them was because I spent, I wasn't very good at marketing that product. Mm. I didn't spend enough 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 time on it, and so I dedicated the rest up to now of my career to learning how to do that. Wow! And I sort of started working at different startups. I've worked with startups essentially my entire career, and after that passion project, I focused on very tactical marketing and sort of. You know, from that point on, I took on more and more responsibility, always in the trenches, but uh, always taking on more. 
And so that's basically helped my career progression. I have uh, had an interesting way of progressing, which is <laughs> not necessarily advisable, but at the same time, <laughs> it has worked for me in its own way. I've always beat more that I could chew. Mm. You know, by definition, I've made a ton of mistakes. And I think at this point, you know, my ability to get things right is a process of elimination. I've mm. done so many things that don't work that I may not have the answer, but I know what things don't work. So by that process of elimination, I'm beginning to be able to get some things right. Yeah. And how did you get here to where you are now at Heorka? Yes, I started after that passion project working at a company called Mobiru. And from there, I moved on to SiteScout, then from SiteScout to, to FunThrough. And with increasing levels of responsibility, then after FunThrough, I started doing some consulting and Heorka was one of my main clients. And although my original intention was to yeah. just do consulting until right. I started my own company, yeah. uh, we got on so well and the company was just the perfect fit with my skills that I was the perfect fit for them. And so last uh, October, we decided to just make it a full-time gig and get back on the full-time Nice. Yeah. It's funny. I didn't know you started off in B2B sales because I found like, I also teach right now marketing at Red Academy. And I find like some of the best ones that pick up marketing the quickest are actually the one who had sales experience. You said a little bit about that, but what is it about your sales experience that's helped you get to where you are right now? There's some logistical components to it. Like the fact that, you know, particularly if you're in B2B, Understanding sales gives you an appreciation for the pipeline, for the CRM, mm. for the process itself, for what they need from you, from marketing. Right. So there are those things for sure. But in a more maybe abstract sense and in a deeper way, really, I think that marketing really is just a poor substitute for sales. <laughs> if you could have, if every single piece of marketing touch point could actually be a human yeah, life, right. like a live human right. person talking to that right. prospect, that would be better by definition, right, than is. any marketing, you know, content right. or ad or anything. Right. So everything marketing is and should be really just a proxy for sales. And, you know, I think where sometimes marketers get derailed, particularly mm. in the B2B space, in the B2C, maybe they have more latitude to be creative. But in the B2B space, sometimes, you know, when marketers trying to be creative as yeah. opposed to clear, that's mm. where things sometimes don't work. right? And that clarity is really just to be able to be as much as possible to act instead of that salesperson yeah. in your website. You should be able to say the same things that the salesperson would say right? and throughout the, the whole journey. No, it's so true. Like I think I read a quote sometime, I forgot from where. It's better to be clear than it is to be creative in your saying, right? I absolutely agree. Yeah, I think it's so true with that. Is there any other things like I find a lot of salespeople also like they know their customers so well. Like and sometimes as marketers, we're like, oh, no, I, I want to take a step back from that. You know, that's the sales job to talk to customers. My job is to design beautiful, creative things that are catchy. That's I think is the wrong approach and trying to be clever and trying to be catchy is, is the wrong approach. I think that. They, you know, to your point of salespeople really know their customers. I think that beyond just understanding their customers, they also are really good at being able to anticipate which are the good salespeople. They're really good at being able to anticipate which are the hierarchy of questions mm. at any given point that the prospect has in their mind that they need answers for to be able to move forward. Right. And our marketing needs 
equally to be aware of what those questions are. And being clever may not be what they want to read, what they want to hear. They have questions and your job is to give them those answers in as persuasive a way as possible. But the point is those answers. It's not to win a marketing award. Nice. Yeah, no, so true. Yeah, everybody wants to win a marketing award. It's also interesting that I, I looked at your profile and you did some guest lecture at Rice University. I look at your slides, it's like, it's like, yes, somebody's saying the right things. And one of the slides I want to discuss about, you were talking about what a growth hacker is and what it isn't. I know it's a buzzword that, you know, Sean Ellis brought up and it's brought on this whole like, buzzy, everybody's a growth hacker now, right? Like what to you is a growth hacker and what isn't a growth hacker? So one of the things that I think define my approach is that I I am always trying to challenge my own definitions and the definitions of everybody else for that matter. And so those lectures, those slides are at least a year and a half old. So by now, I think I have revised my thinking, you know, maybe a dozen times over. (laughs) If I remember correctly in, in those at the time, I defined sort of marketing as the ability to create an audience, the ability to tap, you know, and that being essentially inbound marketing, the ability to tap into, to pay for somebody else's audience, and that's essentially paid. And then, you know, growth hacking within that framework was defined as the ability to inject your message almost in a rogue kind of way into somebody else's audience and have them carry your water, essentially. So that was sort of my thinking at the time. At this point, in my career, I, I've sort of moved beyond spending too much time worrying about growth hacking. I think it's nice. an outdated term. Yeah, it is. And, you know, in the sort of late 2000s uh, <laughs> and, you know, around that time, I think there was a bit of a mini Cambrian explosion in yeah. the marketing world where traditional madman strategy had permeated marketing even beyond the above the line and the more traditional Prince type tactics, but even into AdWords and into the more digital marketing, the thinking was still very much, you know, what it was 50 years ago. But we had that little mini camper explosion in technical marketing, growth hacking, right. lean strategies, all these different things came to the fore and redefine what it is to be marketing mm. in the modern era. And, and I think growth hacking was part of that explosion, okay. but it's the part that is not going to survive. Mm. I think that uh, the idea of looking for Hacks. For hacks, yeah. for shortcuts, for secrets, for you know, for silver bullets, mm. it's fundamentally flawed. The one thing that I think will survive from that time of transition is the idea of a different kind of process, and it is the emphasis on process that I think yeah. is what matters most. And growth hacking itself, when it tries to speak of to a process, it says, "Well, try a million different things," and so that's great. But then we don't have to call that growth hacking; we can just call it. We can call it growth marketing or we can just call it growth, but it is a much more mature, a much more responsible, a much mm. more predictable. Just uh, The one I'm using right now is systemic. It's like, it's a system. It's an engine. You talked about that. In a little yeah. Bit. Yeah. It's just more down to earth. Oh yeah. Right. It's not like head in the cloud. I'm a growth hacker. Yeah. Right. And, and to your point, everybody, you know, puts growth hacker in their profile and I don't think people should because I yeah, think it- I roll my eyes. I roll my eyes whenever I see LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I think it betrays lack of, you know, sort of introspection on the Mm. topic. I really like the Cambrian explosion. There's this whole idea is just exploding within the span of two to three years, right? Yeah. And I really like what you talked about process. I want to know what your growth process looks like at Hey Orca. So I should, you know, sort of caveat everything that I'll say on this with the sort of disclaimer that I'm not a B2C marketer. I'm not an enterprise marketer. 
So everything that I do, it just happens to work for Hey Orca. Okay. And happens to work for a SaaS business in the SMB to mid-market space. And that's really where anything that I do can be sort of translated to. So with that said, the way that thankfully, because I am a very sort of analytical and, and sort of left brain type of person, the way that we do at Heorca, our, you know, sort of growth strategy is very much like a process of problem solving. And so the first step is to just lay out the blueprint, try to just map out the schematics almost of what the, we can call it an engine, but yeah, just the flow of steps that we can call it a journey as well, which are all the things that have to happen for somebody to go from knowing nothing about us to becoming a customer. Just map out, okay. map that out yeah. in a spreadsheet, put the, actually get the conversion rates, trying to get as much data as possible mm. in not data analysis, not data exploration necessarily. There's a time and a place for that, but just model out what your things would, how your business works. Just right. model out as much as possible, go into product if you can, and then understand from that, you know, once you've sort of mapped out your process, you can begin to create models around it and, and, and tweak things and see, mm. you know, how that affects your 12-month projection. And you'll find that there are certain aspects of that, certain variables in that model that have an outsized impact on those projections. And that's simply what I choose. That's how I prioritize my list of problems that, yeah. I, that I need to tackle. Mm. Is by which solving the solutions to which would have the biggest impact on growth. Now, something that, that actually just recently... As of yesterday or two days ago, that nice. had a bit of a eureka moment is that we all know that particularly in SaaS, churn is so important and yeah. it is increasingly harder to overcome as the business grows or to compensate for. And because of that, if it is not brought under control, churn essentially puts a ceiling mm-hmm. on the, the potential right. size of the company. So I was thinking about what's something that could be used to compensate for that churn and, and the most you can always pay for growth. But the yeah. most natural response is for organic growth. So the balance, I think that a SaaS business, you know, we talk about product market fit. And I think that the definition of product market fit is never binary. It's not like you don't have it right. and you do have it. And suddenly, you yeah. know, the boulder is rolling down the hill. There are different speeds at which that boulder can roll. And that's and, a good analogy. And yeah. That speed, I, that's not my analogy. I, the, that was mentioned by one of the founders at Segment in the way that they described the product market fit. And they had a moment where you're not pushing the boulder up the hill anymore but you're running after it. Right. And that's how he describes product market fit. Interesting. But the speed at which it rolls, I think that are the gradation of product market fit. Mm. So I think within the SaaS business, we can define the natural rate of growth as the amount of, like the month over month. So the amount of, uh, essentially, if we're going to calculate that ratio, is the number of new clients acquired on any given month through strictly organic means minus the amount of clients that were churned right. for that month divided by the previous month's total user count or total okay. customer count. Right. So that gives us, if we do nothing, that gives us the rate at which the business can grow. Okay. And I think that that number, that natural growth rate is, in my opinion, right now, the definition of product market fit. And so, unfortunately, that natural rate of growth, that organic growth, can only happen very gradually. Mm. So my job at Heorca is, on the one hand, to do everything I can to accelerate that. To accelerate that. Yeah. But as, on the other hand, to understand which are the variables and which are the channels at any given point that I need to be able to complement to make up for 
for the difference between my required rate of growth, yeah. you know, based my where I need to be in 12 months, my sort of objectives and what that actual organic growth is. No, that makes sense. I think I really love the analogy with our rock and kudos to the founder segment on giving that and just looking at the metric you're really focusing on. I'm curious about, like you talked about the levers and variables that to accelerate that growth from organic to more accelerated. How do you decide which levers to focus on? Because, you know, we all have limited time and if we had more, we'd do everything, right? How do you decide which like levers to focus your energy, your time, your team on? So I guess I have two answers for that. The first one is that, you know, at Heorca, when I joined, we had about $10,000, $12,000 of annual revenue. So very early stage. We just hit last week the, the million dollar annual nice. revenue. And so it's a very early stage point in the company. And so in those early stages, you really need to focus as much as you know, we understand that organic growth is the ultimate, is the way to go. We need to understand that that's going to take a while. And at the beginning, we just don't have the luxury to make that our core strategy. So we have to resort to tactics like, say, outbound email at first, which are more controllable. Because ultimately, in order to have that model, you need to be able to control the inputs. And with organic, you cannot really control the inputs very much. So the amount of outbound emails that you send, that would be my, I think it still works. That would be my go-to strategy right off the bat, outbound email, get a sense for conversion rates, and then understand based on your objectives, then how many emails you need to send. And then it's just logistics after that. Beyond that, that tactic will have a shelf life. When it does die off, you need to be ready with paid. Yeah. At that point, you will have earned the luxury of being able to put some budget behind your growth engine. And then it's shelf life. There's only, you cannot grow consistently by growing your budget. And, you know, you can always make your budget more efficient, but there is also a limit to that. And particularly as you scale, chances are that the efficiency is going to be diminished. That's just a, yeah. the reality of the channel. So I see the progression as sort of an outbound tactic, then some kind of paid tactic where we have a net. And then, you know, eventually having those two will allow us to have the luxury to invest in an inbound channel and growing that organic. Oh, that makes sense. A lot of marketers sometimes harp on email, but I was talking to a friend of mine who works at HubSpot and it's one of their biggest ways, not just to get people to HubSpot sales, the new product that they released like a few years ago, but also to get their leads to become paying, right? It's fascinating that email is a big thing for you. Yeah, email was a big thing for us. Last year, it was the main way in which we we acquired new customers. This year, it has been overtaken but paid. And, and next year, overpaid needs to be overtaken by organic. Yeah. And then, you know, beyond just how to choose your marketing mix within the actual structural funnel itself and, and your pipeline, you know, choosing what to work on is by looking at where the pain is, you know, what's hurting you the most. Mm. If fixing this ratio versus that ratio, this ratio is going to have uh, three times the impact on that bottom line. That that's, yeah. is really that. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. In terms of experiments, like, can you like tell an experiment that really moved the needle right now for Hey Orca or in the past? So not really. And I think that, you know, we're still looking for those types of uh you know, and I don't mean we at Herrick, I think we as marketers right. we still look for those type of sure things that yeah. work for somebody else and that maybe we can apply ourselves. Right. I actually think that for us, it has, there are two kinds of experiments that we run. Nice. We run incremental experiments and wow. we call, and we run sort of radical experiments oh, or cool. like, 
architectural restructuring, almost disrupting our own model kind of experiments. Cool. And the ones that are incremental, because they're incremental, they're never going to move the needle by yeah. like a huge amount. Right. If they do, you just, you know, chances right. are you got lucky. You're you're getting things a little bit better. You're refining nice. your process. So none of those experiments would really be a satisfactory, a satisfactory answer to your question. The other kind of experiments, the more radical radical experiments, yeah. the more transformational experiments, which you do have to run because at any every six months, your engine model is going to be outdated. So you cool. have to run them to yeah. be able to disrupt it and to redesign it. But it is highly unlikely that you're going to run that kind of experiment and you're yeah. going to get it right the first time. Right. You're going to get fired. You're going to get fired if you spend too much time on radical experiments. Well, yeah, <laughs> you can only run them. Like right now, for example, right. our marketing to sales engine on the paid side is beginning to hit structural ceilings. So we need to think about a new way to structure mm. that part of the pipeline to unlock a new ceiling of growth. So we ran an experiment last week and it didn't really work out. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. What was the experiment, if you don't mind? We were trying to just, you know, working on the assumptions, we're looking to minimize no-show rate on the demo request. And the hypothesis was that by minimizing the time to contact, we were able to engage them, have, you know, put a, a face to the name, so to speak, humanize the relationship and either qualify them and schedule the demo. Or if they have already scheduled a demo because they have the choice to do that on the thank you page, then just maximize the chances of them showing up just because you already had a conversation. Yeah. So, you know, that was the assumption they were. I think, you know, there was a failure in execution and maybe in the design of the experiment. But the reality is that we need to redesign the way that... Mm the handoff between sales and marketing happens for that channel. And I think that in three months, you know, after maybe 10 experiments, yeah, and yeah. when we actually have gotten that right, right, we'll be able to look at that chunk and say, this chunk of experiments really moved the needle. Cool. But any one of yeah, them, will, like that. most of them are going to be failures. Yeah. And the ones that will work will be incremental successes. Mm. But so that's a bunch of just radical experiments that are most likely going to fail. Right. And so there isn't, and in my opinion at least, any one experiment. experiment that is going to just I like yeah. that. Wow. That for me was wow moment. You just identified the difference between incremental and radical experiments, which I've never thought about. That's really insightful. Now what I mean by like getting fired, I think is like I think the danger in marketers focusing too much on radical experiments is that they don't get the results. Like radical higher the risk, the higher return, but it's high failure rate too, right? Would you say, how do you cut up your time? Like, should marketers focus 80% of the time on incremental change and 20% on radical? Or is it 90-10, even less? I don't know that there is a ratio sort of that that needs to be maintained. I think that it just depends on what needs to get solved. And if you have an architecture for your engine and that is working and that has room for improvement, then you can focus on incremental optimizations and test around that nature. You can focus 100% of your time on those and just exploit the full potential of your current architecture, your current engine yeah. design. But it is you need to understand that no matter what it is, every engine design yeah. will eventually become outdated mm. by yeah. its own success. Its yeah. success will undermine its own nature. And right. eventually, because you need to keep growing, you need to find a new way to, to And keep that's growing. a radical experiment. And that's when you need the radical experiments. When you're going to, it's not radical because it's a Hail Mary. It's not <laughs> radical because it's a, it's a growth hack. It's radical because you're going to disrupt the fundamental wow. architecture of your engine. So if, we, if you use an analogy of, say, for example, the car industry, and the car has 
proven method that works with the internal combustion engine. Yeah. And they want to they introduce, hey, we think that electric is going to be a better car. Well, chances are that the Tesla was not going to be the first solution, right? right? The first solution was going to be something that didn't work and it took us decades for yeah. whatever political reasons or whatever reasons, but it took us a long time to yeah. find the way that worked. And it's the same with marketing experiments that are radical because they are changing the very nature of how you seek to grow. Nice. You said something earlier about, I love experiments that fail because I feel like that's the best kind of learnings happen when things don't go well and then you try to analyze as a group. How do you cultivate that culture within the team itself? Because I know growth marketers, they're after the learning. They're after like, hey, I'm not pursuing the failure, but I'm pursuing the learning. I think you have to be also, you know, keep your business mind, your business hat on at every moment and realize that failure is not, you know, an option, it's a requirement, but also failure is a luxury and you need to earn the luxury to fail. And so, you know, you can't just go to your CEO or to the board and say, hey, guess what? We've learned a lot. Yeah. We've, we've actually had terrible results. That's not, that's not good enough. <laughs> you're going right? like, to get fired. Yeah, so you, yeah. you got to have, and with good reason. So you got to have, you know, before you focus too much on fair learning, experimenting, you have to have proven way that works. You have to build an mm. engine that is working to a good enough degree right. and that gives you the latitude to run experiments within a control within control failure. So you're not going to jeopardize the entire engine unless the engine itself needs to be redesigned because it has hit a structural limit. But otherwise, you're not going to compromise the engine. You're going to have control failures that if they're successful, they indicate the potential for either incremental improvement or a fundamental improvement upon the whole engine. But you have to earn the right to fail. But once you have that right, then yeah, I think one of the things that I try to impress upon the team is that the first dozen ideas are going to be shitty. So let's yes. just have as many shitty ideas as possible and run through them so we can finally get to good ones. And But again, we have the luxury yeah. because I am pretty confident that we're going to hit our targets within plus or minus 10%, yeah. 10-15% because the engine itself is predictable in that sense. And now we can dedicate our time mm. to failing until we find new things to throw into the working engine. Nice. And it's having the foresight to understand your engine's about to reach its limit. So now let's run radical experiments to find the next one. And in that in-between process is where most failure happens, right? Like you're trying to find a new thing. And you need to, if you wait, you got to have some foresight, as you say. Yeah. And know that, you know, your engine is going to fail in the next three to six months. Although you're hitting your targets. Yeah. You're not going to in three to six months. And so you need to start thinking about what are the ways in which you're going to eventually overhaul that engine. Right. To be able to continue to hit our goals. And that's nice. where that failure happens. But because you're failing is something that you're failing on the side, basically. That's cool. Yeah, it's fine. You're reaching your targets still. But you're winning where it matters. Right. Wow. You're keeping the CEO and the board happy. Right. That's good. That's so good. What are some things that you look out for? Like, oh, this engine's about to like, die off. Like, it's reaching a plateau. Is there anything you particularly look for? Well, there are two things that come to mind. The first one is just when you model things out and you you play with the variables, the unit economics will tell you up to what point something can work. So even if the fundamental engine itself doesn't break down, like for example, with paid, paid is only going to be sustainable for so long right. before it becomes just not economically feasible. And so the unit economics tell you for how long something can be acceptable as the company grows. And if you model that, and if you have multiple scenarios, you should be able to foresee three, six months, nine months ahead of time, 
when something is going to need to be replaced. Nice. So that's the ideal solution that you can see that far ahead because you see the numbers and you see that that's not going to work. The other answer is when you're running this more reactionary, you keep trying to optimize a system. Nothing seems to be working. Right. And that could be an indication that you've hit the local maxima mm. of that design and that you need a new design that has right. a higher local maxima. Nice. Wow. No, that makes sense. That's a good discussion there. I want to shift our discussion a little bit to Reforge. I know you're a part of that. That's like this program with Brian Balfour. He pretty much wrote this whole essay on growth process that blew up. And also Andrew Chen, like he's the guy who started chatting about growth way, way back then in San Francisco, working at Uber now. How has that been for you, Reforge? And like, can you maybe share like top learnings for you? Like things that blew your mind, so to say, about the program so far? The program is about uh, half of the way through. We've talked about the quantitative side of growth, the more psychological side of growth, the management and how to sort of structure your team and manage your team towards growth. And the last lecture was on uh, retention. And I think the two that have been the most illuminating to me right now have been on the one hand, the psychological, the lecture on user psychology, just because it is just so applicable in all those incremental optimizations that need to be done throughout the life of any kind of engine design. So yeah, all the different motivations and triggers, and uh, there's a lot of uh, but a habit loop. It's about yeah, a habit near, loop near, near EL. Near EL, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of thinking that is similar to that built into it. And that idea of motivations and investment nice. and that. And I think sometimes, as part of our best intentions, sometimes when we're looking to optimize things, we can be a little haphazard yeah. in what we choose to change. And a little bit maybe random and say, hey, maybe this will do, maybe that will do. And uh, having this underlying framework of user psychology and triggers and motivations, I think will definitely give, and I want the whole team to actually listen to those three hours of lectures because I think it does fundamentally change the way that we think about experiment and bring them into a much more tangible and practical form. And then the second thing was just retention. And it is this lecture on retention that has been nice. having me think about this natural rate of growth. So something that I found really, really interesting is the idea of engagement cohorts and how they overlap with retention cohorts. Because the big issue with retention is that it's the ultimate lag measure, right? Yeah. Like you have yeah. to wait it's months and months to be able to know yeah. if something worked months and months ago. But if you're able to find that correlation and that overlap with engagement cohorts, then engagement is something that at least you can measure within weeks, nice. not months. And uh, you can have a bit of a leading indicator. And also you have a North Star for cool. how to engineer your product itself. Nice. So yeah, those two, retention and, and the user psychology. That's cool. No, that's awesome. I wish I could join the program, but I didn't know they were very picky about who got it. I didn't apply this time around, but it's great to hear insights from you. I'd like to wrap up. I just I want to ask last question. Actually, two more. First one is for anybody trying to get into like growth marketing and tech marketing right now, do you have any advice for them, especially people who are either transitioning from sales or people who are graduating from marketing? What's your advice about for somebody to get to where you're at right now? I know you're, you said your journey's been kind of all over the place, but maybe a few advice that you would have for them. I think the, the first advice that I would, so as we try to do hiring and I talk to, to a lot of uh, junior people, I think there's a lot of 
allure in the idea of strategic marketing and really high-end concepts and maybe impressive ideas. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately, you know, I'm speaking strictly from a career perspective. If I'm going to give somebody in their early 20s career advice is don't worry about those <clears throat> things because the people that want to hire you don't need you to worry about those things. Right. They're not trying to get somebody that is going to, if you're looking for an entry-level position, you're, yeah. not trying for, you're not looking for somebody with a strategic input. Right. You're looking for somebody with tactical, yeah. operational capability. Right. So focus on that. Focus on choosing that idea of the T-shape, skill distribution, You know, be conversational and understand as many different topics as possible, but be an absolute expert on whether it's paid or it's email or it's right. conversion. or Because at any given point, if I'm building a team, I'm looking at pieces yeah. and each, every single person is going to be ideally specialized in one area. So I need specialists. Yeah. I need people who can kill it at one area, who are better than me in nice. one specific tactical, very yeah. technical function that I can just hand off the work to them and not have to worry about it. Right. They're sharp, they're dedicated, and you know they're committed to, to always learning. And I can really just hand off something to them, very tactical, yeah. and then be able to sit back and think about what's happening in the next three to six months. So that's one thing. And then beyond that, and a broader process, I think that focus on being a problem solver nice. and understanding, you know, within that functional area that you have chosen and your approach to to the work is understand the same thing, the same process that gets applied in the macro can be applied in the macro is understand where the opportunities lie within what you're doing and try to get really good at solving those problems. You have to always have a balance between, on the one hand, doing what executing the solutions that have been already found and looking to problem solve the most important problems. And I think that, you know, from a higher point of view now, not just early stage career, but later start career and where I'm focusing a lot of my personal growth on is on the one hand, just data modeling. Nice. Get, getting really good yeah. at deconstructing a system and understanding as you create a CRM or an analytics plan that which you cannot track everything. Right. But so try to track as many things that will be really important. And it's only, you know, to, to some extent experience, but if you really carefully deconstruct an engine, then you can think of all those things that will potentially matter. So that's one area that I think is very important. The other area is process. You know, there's no winning ideas. There's only winning processes. So focus on getting really good at that. And then the last one is people. I think that choosing the right people is so, so, so important. So yeah. that's one area that because I haven't had a ton of experience previously doing hiring, that's one area where I really want to get at is both hiring people and empowering people that I've hired to be able to, to succeed and to solve the problems that are within their purview and grow as a marketer Nice. as a result of that. And I think the last thing that I'll say for everybody is that there is no Mr. Right, yeah, so true. to speak. Yeah. There's only a right combination of factors. Yeah. And I think, you know, other people have said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. The reason why Heorka and I sort of work is because I'm in the right stage of my career. Right. Or Heorka and Heorka is the right kind of company for me. And that is the reason why, you know, three years ago, I may not have been the right company for Heorka. And if Heorka was slightly different, it wouldn't be the right company for me. Right. So choose wisely. Mm. There's no miracle man and there's mm. no honor in trying to turn water into wine. Yeah. Sometimes I think, uh, you know, marketers want to face that challenge and yeah. but you have to choose carefully. You have to choose situations in which there's a good skill to company match and that you can actually be successful. And uh there is no from a long term career perspective, there's no substitute to being able to choose carefully. You That's know, so where true. you're going to invest your time. 
That's so true. I would say the same to all the people that I advise and, and mentor. I just a final thing. Do you have any shout outs? Maybe shout out to Heyoka and how can we get on Heyoka or maybe yourself? I know you're also the lead founder of Growth Hackers community here in Toronto. Any shout outs you want to give out to any listeners right now? It's all yours. Well, definitely with Heyoka, if so talking about Heyoka for just a second, it's a social media marketing tool for, for agencies and developing more into just the a content production system for distributed teams. So if you're an agency listening and you work with clients in social media, definitely check out Heorka. It, uh, it will transform your workflow process, you know, get rid of spreadsheets and screenshots and just make your life a lot easier and that of your clients as well. As you know, if you're listening to this in 2018, then if you're in an organization and you are heavy on content of any sort of uh, format, then check us out as well because we're becoming more and more entrenched into the production process of workflow and broader into the, the range of formats that we'll be able to accommodate. And so that's the idea of Heroka, Heroka.com. And within personally, if, if you're, I'm always thinking about this type of, this type of questions about growth and startups. I haven't had a chance to do a lot of writing. I have a chance, I guess, but I just haven't had the discipline to do it. As I had the more honest response or the most honest thing to say. But I want to. I want nice. to write more and just, you know, put all these thoughts into papers, so to speak. So, yeah. So if you're interested in any kind of these questions, either, you know, reach out to me and like, yeah, just wait for me to get that discipline. And I'll be hopefully writing a lot more and, nice. and sharing sort of my thought process as it evolves. Nice, man. Thanks, Christian, for your time. This is very insightful. I even even learned a lot from you and all your discussions. So that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Hey, thanks for listening on this episode with Christian Contreras, Head of Growth at Hey Orca. I hope you were just as blown away as I was when this guy started talking about what he knows and what he's learning from Brian Balfour and Andrew Chen at Reforge super smart a lot of things that I just picked up I remember after the chat my mind was just hurting from all this stuff that I downloaded from what he was saying if you liked it and you got something out of this why don't you hit subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to and if you really like it why don't you give me a 5 star and give me a review I would really appreciate it if you left a review because that would help more people to hear about what I'm chatting about, about the growth process and not the growth hacks. You can also subscribe to my Insider Club newsletter where I share with you my latest giveaways, news, and who I'm going to be chatting with next. If you have any feedback or questions, send me a short email at ramley at growthmarketing.today. And in next week's episode, I have David Lau. He's the growth at Snap Travel. Snap Travel is an AI chatbot for people to book hotel rooms. I know with all this chatbot, there's just it sometimes it's a little bit buzzy, buzzwordy, and a little bit hacky. But it's fascinating to understand how growth is done for a non-traditional company. I know a year or two ago, if you said chatbot or AI, people would wonder what drugs you're on but nowadays AI and chatbot is at the forefront and it's new and doing growth for it might be a little bit interesting I talked to David about having and changing around the personality of the chatbot which is kind of cool so don't miss that episode with my chat with David Lau at growth at snap travel with that 
I want to wrap up this episode. This is Ramley from Growth Marketing Today. And don't stop growing.